episode 156 fractured skulls terminator travels alongside monoxide it is september 4th monday 2023 if you can't believe it it's labor day we're recording on labor day nice and early we've never recorded on monday from what i know this may be a first time ever yeah and are you sure it's 2022 did i say that yes you did 23 excuse me yeah Back to the future. You get the <laughs> flux capacitor with the 1.21 gigawatts. Yeah, I forgot the um. What 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 was it you needed? They needed to travel back in time that you forgot. Yeah, plutonium. Plutonium. Yes, I've got the plutonium. Well, yeah, kind of hard to come by even in this day. A lot of things that Back to the Future predicted kind of never came into fruition. We still never got Jaws 17. We made it up to four. Maybe that was for the best. <laughs> We don't, we don't have, like, hologram sharks coming from a building that looks like it's going to bite you. No, we, we ain't got that yet. We didn't get uh, hover cars flying in the air. We kind of got hoverboards, but they're not how they were advertised in the movie. Oh, yeah, they're called hoverboards, but they're not really. Exactly. We do have, you can go on Amazon and get the Gray Sports Almanac. Oh, yeah, yeah, they have those. I thought about getting it to dress as Biff for halloween but i'm not sure yet i'm still like because like last year when i dressed up for halloween it was literally a last minute decision i'm sitting around thinking i have no idea what to dress as there's a couple days before halloween all of a sudden i see my suit i see a poncho my hair was long at the time i'm like i can fucking do patrick bateman all i need is an axe and some fake blood and it worked out well let's get right to it let's check, check it, it out Well, I guess we'll start with the trailer, because we covered it in our last episode. We only saw the teaser trailer, but I didn't realize they also released an actual trailer at the same time. And we got around to watching the actual trailer of Netflix's Rebel Moon, Zack Snyder's late, latest uh, double feature. Part one's going to re be releasing, uh, I believe, the week of Christmas. And part two's going to be releasing probably the week of April Fool's. Yeah. Saw this trailer. It was okay. I mean, looks stunning visually. But it just reeks of Star Wars intertwined with Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, there is a lot of Star Wars influence on, on it. You mentioned uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I believe Snyder also said there's an influence of the film Heavy Metal, which I believe was like an animated movie. I don't know if it's anime, but it was an old an animated movie that uh, was a big influence on this as well. I haven't seen that one, so I couldn't I tell you. It, again, going back to the stunning part, that, it, that I cannot take away from. It looks stunningly beautiful. Everything looks great. But this is something we've talked about on this show, and this is something that's been my major gripe with horror films. CGI, I really don't know how I feel about it. I feel like when a company is limited to what they have as far as their resources, they do a much better job because now they're put in a proverbial corner. They gotta work to get that visual effect. Case in point, like we said, horror movies. I think it was uh, Anthony who made it apparent that 80s was the best time for horror films because of the effects that they were limited to at that point. Or another case in point is amusement rides. How many rides have you seen where the animatronics are much better than the 3D elements of rides because it just feels more, I don't know, authentic. 
Yeah, it's, yeah, it's just because it's actually there. You get to see it, so you get to you get to give it a general uh, reaction to it. And actors have complained about this too, you know, on sets. You know, when you have an actual uh, when you do a makeup design or actual puppet, you'll know how to actually react to it. You could even touch it in some cases, like the scene in Jurassic Park, that uh, dinosaur that was um, what was it a um, rhinoceros or something. That was like dead. The actors can actually play Triceratops. You mean Triceratops? Yeah, that mm-hmm. was like the actual prop that was on set, dinosaur related. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure some close-ups of the T-Rex as well. But they were able to work that, mix it with the CGI when they needed to do like actual shots of it. The same vein goes for Star Wars. Look at those movies before George Lucas got his freaking hand on them and started remaking them. And I'm talking about the original. The one from 77, 80, and 83. New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. They actually look more aesthetically pleasing with its limited... uh, limited graphics, I guess you could say, or limited budget that it had compared to today. Because now today, you got all the different advances with CGI. Hell, even in Star Wars Episode One, Yoda, the original Yoda they used... For 1999 looks much better than when George Lucas went in there and re-edited Yoda because back in 1999 they used a puppet. Yeah, even the original trilogy was just it was a puppet of uh, Yoda. Yeah, then they remade it to make it look CGI related and just doesn't look the same. Now, Yoda looked fine in the newer trilogy, not not this one. I'm talking about um the prequels. He looks fine there, like in Revenge of the Sith. But it's just, for the time, it works better. It, it would be like if you took the never-ending story and took all of that stuff and CGI'd it up to no end. Never-ending story loses its full charm at that point. While this movie looks stunning, is it going to have the same personality as most films, like the original Star Wars films? Uh, I doubt it, but I I do see it filling a void. I mean, not saying that they're going to make like a big franchise out of this. Then again, you never know. Like, I guess it depends how it's going to do, but this does seem like an alternative to those that are very pissed off with current modern Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And just want to see a fun space adventure movie. This film could be the alternative to that. Could be. Not saying it's going to draw the fan base and start selling the same merch that Star Wars is. No. Mm-hmm. But I see people saying, hey, you know what? I like this Rebel Moon way more than what Disney has done with Star Wars. Right. So I can I can see the film doing the these films doing that, but it depends, you know, south how how the films actually are. And it's supposed to be a two parter. I wouldn't be surprised if each part's like two and a half hours. Possibly. Because this is sex a Zack Snyder movie now. And I remember you telling me that Zack Snyder is not exactly the best when it comes to storytelling. He's not the best, but. He is, he is a big-budget director. Um, his movies are hit and miss with me. I, I mean, I liked his earlier work more more so than his later work. I mean, even I did like his Justice League films. I liked I liked 300. I thought 300 was a fun film. And then he did Sucker Punch. I thought that was terrible. Um, what the hell did he do after that? He did Man of Steel. I thought it was eh. Then he did Batman v Superman. Not a fan. God. And then his uh, HBO Max... Uh, four-hour version of his of his Justice League movie, I thought was his best movie he's done in quite some time. And then Netflix snatched him up. He did Army of the Dead for them, eh. and now he's got this one coming out. 
Rebel Moon. So it's kind of like a roll of the dice when it comes to Zack Snyder. Yeah. Huh. And I, I know I do like Watchmen. Even then, based on the movies you've seen and the based on the the short one word reviews that you gave to him, it seems like it's a fifty fifty. Yeah, he's a mixed bag. So in other words, this could just be a visually stunning movie with nothing to write home about as far as story. But again, based on the trailer, we can't really say much because it's a three minute trailer. But from what I had seen, it didn't really sucker me in because it just looked too much like a knockoff Star Wars film. We'll yeah, and, and it has a bit of Star Wars elements to it as well. Mm. So we'll just have to wait and see what this turns out to be. That's going to be the big, I guess, Netflix movie for 2023. And 2024, since part two will come out in April. Yeah. Yep. So we'll see how that turns out. And you probably won't check it out. But I think I'll check it out. I might. Depends on how the wife feels. She wants to watch it. Well, heading to our next story. uh, More TV shows have been canceled. Uh, The How I Met Your Mother spinoff, How I Met Your Father, has been canceled by Hulu after two seasons. The show stars uh, Hilary Duff. Damn. So they're canceling it, and what's their reason? Uh, I'm going to assume it's the writer's strike. Oh. The writer's strike continues to take effect, and more shows are getting canceled. I know uh, Amazon Prime canceled uh, The Perpetrator, I think it was called, with uh, Chloe Martz, whatever her name is. And I heard and I heard the first season was good, but then they pulled the plug on that. And uh, more TV shows are getting delayed, postponed. All the Marvel, the Disney MCU projects, including the Daredevil show... Uh, Ironheart is being delayed. Um, the X-Men 97 has been delayed to early 2024. Uh, the uh, Echo TV series, a once show that nobody wanted, has been delayed from December to January. It seems like they're trying to space, space out these shows because of the strike. And it seems like they're still not going to be budging to these writers' demands. And fuck, how much longer is this going to go? <laughs> I mean, football season is about to start. I mean, where do you side on this one? I mean, I don't feel bad for all the woke writers. I feel bad for everyone else that has nothing that that are just there just to do a job because they're out of work as well. Well, more of what I mean is like, do you think that the writers have a case against Hollywood? Well, if you're writing me crap, I ain't going to pay you more. Well, here's the thing. Is it only the woke Hollywood writers that are on strike? Or is it also other Hollywood writers that do do quality writing and they're just not getting paid their fair share? Well, it's everyone. All the writers. Including woke and non-woke. All right. So forget the non-woke people. Because obviously you've already we've already established their, their comeuppance in this whole scenario. But guys who actually do write quality stuff that are fed up with whatever... Yeah, that's the thing. See, I would judge by the overall quality of the writer and how good their writing their writing is, their past work, and and they feel they deserve more. That I'll be willing to give them an, a raise or two. Here's what I, I think. Say. See, that's where that's that's the writer strike. As for the actor strike, it's all about uh, using their face and licensing and that shit. And that's a whole different issue with the writer than with the writers. I see. Because I was just about to bring that up. Because David Yost, who was the Blue Ranger in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, brought this up on why they're striking and one of the reasons is the guy who played Zordon and when I use play in quotations technically it's the guy's face the guy's head he doesn't do the voice somebody else does the voice but they literally hired this guy 
to do a couple of facial expressions and a couple of things here and there. And it was literally one day of filming and they never used him after that ever since. But they kept reusing his face for every episode pretty much after that. And he got paid $150 for that one day and was never paid any residuals after that. So it's like, can Hollywood just get away with using your face? They've been doing it for a long time. Right. And but is it fair? No, I don't see that's not fair. Right. So there's the issue. Yeah. Another thing I remember was that I remember when on your ticket, I'm not sure if it was on your ticket. If you ever went to a WWE event, they would always tell you that if you're caught on camera, it's automatically WWE's right to reuse your crowd reaction for any video packages. Are they allowed to do that without giving you a blessed penny? Mm-hmm. I, See, well, that's that's interesting. I'm I'm talking more from an ethical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Let me reiterate this. Obviously, you remember I was in the WWE documentary. What was it? WWE 24. Uh, where they were chronicalizing backstage for WrestleMania 35, like in the build-up to every wrestler going into it. And one of the things that they always touch upon all every year is access. And I was filmed for access with Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins when I was dressed as Owen Hart. And the main thing was, was that right after we filmed that, a dude just literally handed me a contract for me to sign, basically stating that they have a right to use my likeness. I didn't read it in full, but the virtual point was, was that, yes, they can use this footage and put it on the network. And of course, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see me on the network. I wanted to see this. This is going to be fun. But now comes to the point, I don't think they'll ever reuse it because I'm dressed as Owen Hart, somebody that whose wife is still against the company and the two people that were involved in that full entire scenario, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, they're no longer employed. So I don't see them reusing that footage anytime soon. But what does that mean? Like if they reuse that footage, they don't have to offer me a cent. Yeah. That's yeah. Some, some along those lines that they ever reuse it. Yeah. They feel like, well, you know, luckily for me, I'm not expecting money. I never went in expecting money. I just wanted to see myself on the network immortalized. So they don't have to worry about me complaining. I'm just glad that I'm on the network. But that being said. I, I think the only wrestler that gets some any type of royalties from, from his likeness is Jesse Ventura. Really? Yeah, he said, I think it's some shooter. He gets a check every month from uh, WWE when it comes to using his likeness. I remember a lot of wrestlers were complaining about that when the network first launched. Yeah, because in the end, your likeness is on there and people are paying money. It goes back to that whole routine of, can they replay your footage and never pay you? That's it, it, It's it's a real sticky situation. Yeah, they're going to have to figure this one out. I mean, I guess it's just a matter of time this was going to happen with the whole streaming. and. Um, but I will say this. There was a clip of uh, Rachel, uh, uh, our favorite actress, Rachel Zegler. Um, she was yeah. you know, with a little with a little pickup sign about complaining about you know royalties, and she's like, "Look, if I you know if I'm gonna be dressed like uh, Snow White, I want to get paid every time my face is on is on the streaming app." 
But every time, you know, they, you know, they play my movie, I want a royalty fee. And I'm saying to myself, all right, look, Rachel, that's not how this works exactly. Okay, if Steve is a car, if Monoxide is a carpenter and he builds me a coffee table, is he going to expect a royalty pay every time I eat on that table? Yeah. Because, well, it's interesting because that coffee table, you're only paying one time and that's it. As opposed to how many times people are paying a subscription to see your movie. Like, you're not going to see a whole plethora of different people paying for that same table that I bought. It's it's a weird dichotomy that we're, we're running into right now. Because, like, how much are these actors owed? It, it all goes back to how what we said earlier about Crispin Glover. How he sued Universal for uh, Back to the Future Part 2 for using his likeness. And he won. Yeah, that's really where all this started. That was like patient zero of what is happening now with AI. Yeah, and that was what, 89? Yeah, 89, 90, yeah. Yeah, so the the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers fiasco that we just described happened in 92. Around 92. I think, yeah, roughly around 92 was when they started. So, in the end, I, I do think it's quite unfair because with the example you brought up, the table, you're making a custom table, right? But with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, we'll use that as an example, you can use a whole array of different things, such as DVDs with the shows with your likeness on it, uh, digital with Amazon, you can purchase it from there or any other uh, apps that may carry that show. Let's say a video game. Let's say they make a Mighty Morphin Power Rangers video game and they use Zordon's likeness in the video game. It's like, well, they're using your likeness. So at that point, how much is owed to you when they're constantly used? And, and it also goes back to the whole, even the Victor Miller situation. How much was he owed for the Friday the 13th franchise when technically he only wrote the first film? He never, he created Jason Voorhees, correct. But he didn't create the Jason Voorhees that we know of, which is the hockey mask wielding, axe murdering motherfucker. Yeah, he got paid just to write for the first movie. Right. But he felt like he was owed something. But there is a case because, however, while you may say he never created the axe murdering hockey mask guy, if it wasn't for his seeds that were planted in the dirt, they wouldn't have had the seeds to water that would eventually blossom into Jason Voorhees. Yes. Like, yeah. It's a touch and go situation. Yeah. And that's um, that's kind of yeah that's basically where we are right now like mm -hmm. i don't know i don't know how much they pay these writers i don't know what a writer's salary is in hollywood i guess it varies i mentioned shane black to you he got paid a million bucks for um writing lethal weapon so i, I guess it varies i don't know how much tv writers could get paid compared to movie writers or if there's even a balance or again it was just like a pick and choose type of thing so um who the hell knows when this is when this thing's gonna end? Because as of right now, the networks, I guess, for the this every year the, during the fall premiere, that's that's usually around the time a lot of new shows start hitting the networks, mm. and we haven't really gotten anything. And as of right now, the networks, their only real alternative or solution to this is just, is just basically airing reruns or airing shows that may air exclusively on on their apps. Like I mentioned, um, 
the Miss Marvel series, which was a Disney Plus exclusive, they now already aired it on ABC. Uh, I think Yellowstone's going to be airing on CBS later this year. They're going to air reruns of that. So, why I think they're not caving in to the writers' strike is because what do they need writers for at this point? We've got AI-generated apps where we can literally say if we wanted to write the next, let's just say, Harry Potter film. We literally ask the damn thing to write us a Harry Potter film and it will give us by detail the next Harry Potter film without getting somebody to write it for us. This was, this was in the same vein. Like this was the complaint that people had when all these McDonald's workers wanted to be paid $15 an hour. It was like on paper, yes, this sounds logical because you're getting paid shit. However, we all know that McDonald's is technically not a career. It's not meant to be a career. McDonald's is meant to be like a high schooler's job to kind of get their foot in the door on the real world so that they can get a real job or get some experience in working. And with the whole notion of giving these people 15 bucks an hour, and I think some of it went through, instead of McDonald's hiring people so that they can pay them 15 bucks an hour, they just started ending up putting like little machines where you don't even have to go to the front counter and ask for the order. You can go to this little machine and get it done for you. There's even, I think, a McDonald's where there's literally no human being making the food. It's all robot AI generated. That's tough times, daddy. Tough times. The son of a plumber. Son of a plumber, when you're working 30 years and you get laid off. Five pounds, baby. Oh, no. It's like, I don't see any of Hollywood go saying, oh, oh my God, we really need these Hollywood writers. They're going to probably just go to these AI-generated fucking apps and be like, yo, make a movie for us. And then... And, and what's going to happen with the theater industry now that, you know, they're not getting any new movies, any new content from these big major Hollywood studios? They're going to have to go to the independents because they got to they gotta keep movies coming in. They got to stay in business. That's why Sound of Freedom did so well. And I think it would be better for them, for the independent, because they'll probably have more freedom as opposed to Hollywood, which will restrict them. Yeah. And with a film like Sound of Freedom, which is which made more money than most than most Disney movies, I would think. I don't know how much they did profit wise, but yeah, they made a huge profit still going. I don't, I don't even think the film got released internationally yet. And I think they're working on that as we speak. Yeah. Um, and with nowhere near the promotion that most of these Disney films are getting. They ain't got no commercials. Nothing. I they didn't literally even... cut out the middleman, which is the promotion, and then they made way more money. Just because, just by uh, word of mouth. Seriously, yeah. Because how many commercials did you see of freaking Indiana Jones and that shit flopped? Oh God, they were they were on the uh, PA monitors in the subways in New York City, and people were bitching about that. What the movie was in the PA monitors? Yeah, over like the announcements. Come see Indiana Jones. Oh. Uh, come see one last ride. You know, come with Indiana. Yeah, and the people were complaining, like, what the fuck? We want to hear our schedules, you know, when the next train, when the next D train's coming. Not fucking Indiana Jones. Yeah. I, I, I prefer to know when my train is coming so that I can get prepared to get on it. Rather than hearing about a fucking movie that shouldn't even be made. Especially with a Harrison Ford that's clearly just doing this for a paycheck. And then get told by my fucking movie that I'm a horrible human being because I'm white. And I've got toxic masculinity. And that the guy that I watched for nearly 30 
years is now just a broken down man who we should shame because he's a man. Well, you mentioned uh, movies that shouldn't be made. I This wasn't on my uh, schedule, but I guess we could talk about this. Uh, the trailer for Good Burger 2. Oh, God. It's going to be re- released later this year in Paramount+. Plus. I brought up the example to you in the car. All right. I said Good Burger was, was of the time, the 90s. And it was made specifically to anybody, to any of you youngsters, all two of you, who don't know what Good Burger is. Let, let me preface this. Good Burger was a segment on a show called All That. All That, the best way to describe All That was Nickelodeon's version of Saturday Night Live. It was mostly what it was. Yeah. Young actors who do like short skits, this, that, and the other. All That was a great show. I thought it was a unique show because, again, Saturday Night Live or Living Color, shit like that for younger audiences. And there was a segment on that segment, And they turned it to a 90-minute movie. Yeah. There was a segment on there called Good Burger. And the whole gimmick of it was Ed, who's the cashier, is a dumb, clueless, lovable guy. All right? I'm a dude. He's a dude. She's a dude. We're all dudes. Hey. All right? Yeah. And it, Good Burger is basically, it's, it's a fast food joint. It's a fast food joint that it has a very dumb, clueless co- uh, cashier working. But it was a hit. It was one of All That's most successful rerunning sketches that they had done. Next to maybe Repair Man, 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 Man. Um, and I'm trying to remember. For some reason, I'm blanking on the others. Uh, the, the Girl with the Lemonade Stand, uh, Vital Information. Informations. Uh, Amanda doing the little girl skit. I forget the name. Penelope. Dear Ashley. Dear Ashley, the one where she reads letters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, pizza Face, etc. But you, know, you guys get the idea. And this was this was uh, Nickelodeon's first ever film. Was uh, Good Burger came out in 1997. Yo, I went to see this in theaters. Think about this. This movie came out before the fucking Montreal Screwjob. That's how old this film is. All right. Now, let's get back to the point. 25 years later. 25 years later. So this movie came out in 97. It was for the times. It was it was a fine little movie for the times. It was charming. It's not going to win any Academy Awards. It's not going to be the next Godfather, although it does have an actor that was in The Godfather. Um, but suffice to say, the movie was a charming film for the time. I said in the car when you, we were talking about this, that would be like if you made a sequel to Fast Times at Richmond High. Fast Times is an 80s movie, and it was for the time. It was a fine movie for the time. Or if you tried to make The Breakfast Club again. That'd be weird if you tried to make a sequel to The Breakfast Club. As we jokingly said, the sequel would be called The Lunch Club. And then you would have one transgender, one non-binary, uh, let's see, one straight uh, white male who's fucking... You have, a, you have a BLM activist. A BLM activist. And of course, the one straight white male is going to probably be the... Uh, uh, whatchamacallit? John... Uh, What's the fucking name? Bender. John Bender of the whole group. He's the big asshole. And they all have to tell him to check his privilege. Anyways, why they're making a sequel to Good Burger when it was never necessary? And from what I read in the cast, the only people that are coming back besides Keenan and Kel are uh, Carmen Electra and Josh Server, 
if you remember Josh Server, Josh Server was a member of the All That cast who also played a role in the first movie. Small role. He was just like an extra for, uh, part of the Good Burger crew with some dialogue. That's really all he did. Well, he was more essential than Lori Beth Dinberg, who only had one scene, and she's returning as her one of her characters that he did, or she did. Oops, I misgendered her. Uh, arrest me. <laughs> you bastard. Yeah, I'm an evil person. Uh, so a um, role that she played in all that, she brought that character on the Good Burger for like one scene. But there's a couple of characters that are missing. Obviously two of them because they passed away. The guy who played Spatch, he passed away. And uh, Abe is pretty much passed away. They both died the same year, I think. Um, and of course, you're not going to have Kirk. He was like one of the best parts of the first movie. And then he would always... You can't have Mr. Bailey, Dan Schneider. Oh, yeah, because of his controversies. But it's and, and you can't have Sinbad because, unfortunately, he had a stroke a couple years ago. Yeah, he's he has, he's in very bad health. Yeah, so it's like, why are you doing this movie? Oh, and then uh, what's her face? I always forget her name. She played uh, Velma in Scooby-Doo. Oh, Linda Carnellini. Yeah, she is she going to be in this? I doubt it. She doesn't need she doesn't need to do this. Nobody needed to do this film. <laughs> Nobody needed to do this film. This film wasn't needed. Good Burger it, it, was for it's, the- it's a nostalgia act at this point. That's all it is. It's a, hey, remember these guys? They're back again for another wacky adventure. If I wanted the nostalgia act, I'll just go watch the, the actual movie from 97. I don't need to watch a sequel. That's not needed. God bless Keenan and Kel. I'm I'm glad they're getting paid for this. I'm glad they're getting a job. I'm glad they just they finished shooting this right before the strike. Well, I don't know. And, I'm glad, this comes out. and this movie kind of brings their feud to rest because they're working together. Yeah, well, yeah, because all this started, I guess, for a big return was when they reunited on Jimmy Fallon. Mm. And this, this is going back 2015. I want to say 16. That was the first time they've been together in a, in a lot since their Nickelodeon days. And I think they made up right then and there. What was the reason for their feud? Uh, I don't know. And it was more on the Keenan side than it was on the Kel. Kel was more like he wanted to repair it, but Keenan was just like, fuck this guy for a while. Yeah, um, but then, you know, they started doing some reunions when the uh, with all that reunions and I think they were both there. It didn't seem like they were, they were distant from each other. I don't know. It was just a weird feud because it never really was public. It's not like they were going out and slandering each other. But supposedly there was a falling out between the two that we still don't really know the intricate details. Yeah, but- and, and I think it was around 2012, 2013. This could have been around the same time they did the Jimmy Fallon skit. Nickelodeon had a segment called The 90s Are All That. For, this was around the time there was just a huge calling for 90s era Nickelodeon. They started airing reruns of Rugrats, Hey Arnold, Doug. And that block was hosted by Keenan Thompson. And I think that's when it all started, you know, when, when were we going to get Keenan and Kel back together? It's very bad off people, you know, Drake and Josh don't get along. From the looks of it, they're not even, they were never really friends. I think we later found out that they were just doing a job on a TV show. They just worked off each other so well. Everybody thought they were legit close. And they were all saddened when Drake Bell did not get the invite to Josh's wedding. Instead, it was John Stamos! Yeah. So, 
Yeah, there was that. I do remember that call in the '90s because by that point in the early 2010s, all of us kids that grew up with those shows were now young adults, and we were like thirsting for that that nostalgia that we wanted. And it's it's in the same vein when I was watching the American Pie movies in succession. All the music that's played in the background—it's like it, it will trigger those nostalgia moments for you. But Good Burger Two is not going to trigger that because it, it's just this was a movie for the fucking time. It's like when they redid Rugrats for the Paramount Plus thing. Why are you redoing Rugrats when we could just watch the original? Or if you want to continue on, that's one thing. But to remake it. And then on top of it, to remake it and re-edit all the stuff that made Rugrats so great, such as the, the main gripe that I have is Phil and Lil's parents, Howard and, and Betty. Because it was like the, their dynamic worked together. Now it's like, well, Betty's a fucking lesbian woman who doesn't have Howard. It's like, well, how does this work? That was, the- that was the joke. She was almost more the man in the relationship in the original series than Howard. Howard was always the quiet one. Exactly. But that was the joke, and it was a good joke. It wasn't, like, force-fed to you, but it was fun. It was a fun little thing, and now they got rid of them because the fuck knows. Gotta go yeah, woke. Now they wanted to push their social agenda, and they saw Betty and said, yep, there we go. It's already there. It was like, but, you know. Uh. You would think that they would keep Howard because the whole uh, women, men need women type of deal. Like, I don't know. It, this whole re-emerging all these different franchises just for the sake of nostalgia just really is waning thin on me. Especially with this. As I said, I Good Burger is one of those movies every once in a while I go back and watch. Because I enjoyed it. I loved Good Burger and I saw it in theaters at the time. So there's kind of like that nostalgia within me. But it was like when they re- when they made Space Jam 2. Oh, it, God. It, did we really need Space Man, Space Jam 2? <laughs> there was no need for Space Jam 2. None. I watched it. I didn't end up hating it. But it was clear as day the sequel was not needed. We didn't need no fucking Don Cheeto playing a fucking eel. We didn't need LeBron James. So they can reinforce the idea he's the new GOAT. It's just, it was an unnecessary sequel. Oh, and then on top of it, the wokeness went into that because uh, we can't have Pepe Le Pew, a fucking skunk. Like, oh god, we're gonna harp on a goddamn skunk, a cartoon French skunk that is harboring over a cat who he thinks is a skunk. That's not. Oh no, that we can't have that. But let's have the number one hit called "Wet Ass Pussy" from fucking uh, Cardi B played on the radio for kids to listen to. Which doesn't make sense. And yet they go after a song like Try That in a Small Town, which has no swearing. And it's all... B- oh, fuck it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Times have changed, brother. For the worse. This, this is it's idiocracy come to life. It, it's, it sounds like we're becoming our parents with the whole back in my day. But how really can you argue against this new generation and not bring up back in my day because back in our day it was a lot simpler than it is now back in our day 
you can clearly tell someone's gender and not have to worry about misgendering them and getting hit with a fine. Insane. We also didn't have to worry about this shit being indoctrinated in our schools. Yeah. And we're, we're living in the Twilight Zone. We're living in South Park, however you want to look at it. We're living in Bizarro World. Yeah. Everything is ass backwards. It's, yeah, it's, everything it's, is, it's, it's insane. Yeah, everything is bass backwards right now. Bass backwards, yeah. Well, we'll see how Good Burger 2 uh, turns out. I believe it's coming out Thanksgiving sometime in the fall. And where can we watch this? On Paramount Plus. It is exclusively on there. And if this writer strike keeps going, I wouldn't be surprised if it even airs on Nickelodeon. Okie dokie. So coming soon, Good Burger 2, Keenan and Kel make their return along with some other guys and some new villain. I, I don't even know what the main plot's supposed to be. I guess they don't really need to sell that because he says, hey, look, Good Burger 2, it's coming back. Yeah, really wonderful. To sell it on. And, and that's the other thing before we move on to the next topic. At least when they did Good Burger 1, all that was still a show that was running and Good Burger was still a reoccurring sketch. Why the fuck are we doing Good Burger 2 when all that hasn't made a new episode in... 10 to 15 years and that sketch pretty much went away after Kel and Keenan left all that yeah I'll say because I'm not when did Keenan and Kel start 98 on all that no all that I think started the early to mid 90s no 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 there was all that and then of course they had their spinoff Keenan and Kel oh the spinoff when I think was 90 or the Keenan and Kel I think was 97 oh okay so yeah they are they're on top of the game yeah uh they their peak at that oh, point. I'm sorry. I take that back. The first aired episode was July of 96 for Keenan and Kel. And even then, when Keenan and Kel did Keenan and Kel, the Good Burger sketch had nothing to do with that show. That was more of a sitcom. Yeah. But yeah, at this point, Keenan's been doing Saturday Night Live for feels like 100 years. And <laughs> Kel Mitchell's pretty much been doing whatever. He's been he's been floating around. So it's like, what's the point of this movie? Who who really asked for it? I, I'm pretty sure there's a fan there's a nostalgic uh, fan base out there that wants to see more of them, and uh, we'll see how it turns out. I mean, I did like their SNL skits they did with uh, Kiki Palmer. I don't know if you ever saw that one. No, I don't watch current Saturday Night Live. I don't either, but. When she was hosting, she did a skit reuniting Keaton and Kel. It was pretty cool because I think that was the first SNL appearance Kel ever did. Sure, I guess. Well, it's time to get to the depressing part of the show, and that are the deaths. We have had two more deaths this uh, over this past weekend, both musicians. I'll start with Jimmy Buffet. He passed away uh, on September 1st, 2023. He was born on Christmas in 1946. He was 76 years old. He uh, wrote the song uh, Margaritaville. Yeah. One thing I also didn't know about him was that he was into uh, he was in real estate because he just opened up a Margaritaville last year, I believe, in Times Square. I could I I I know that wasn't cheap. Um, were you? I don't think you were with us uh, in Phoenix when we went to Margaritaville. I don't think you were with us. I don't know. I was in Phoenix, but I wasn't with you guys when you guys went. You guys must have done this on a Friday. No, it was the day of Mania. What's that? Where the hell was I? Um, I don't know. 
no, I didn't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, Jimmy uh, Buffet, musician, real estate man, passed away. And uh, the other, I guess this one would relate more to us because this is more of our era. Uh, Steve Harwell, the lead singer of Smash Mouth, passed away at the age of 56. Uh, was it liver failure? Yeah, liver failure. Because um, uh, he had a, um, I know he was a big alcoholic. Because mm. alcohol, that fucks, that fucks up your liver. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Smash Mouth, their biggest hit, was a song that none of us could escape, which was uh, All Star. That yeah. was like, God knows how many different films. I know All Star was featured in Shrek. It was the ending song to Rat Race. Uh, the first time I remember hearing that song was in a commercial, I want to say. It was in a, like, a Gatorade commercial or Frosted Flakes commercial. I can't remember exactly which commercial it was. But that song was inescapable. Yeah, that and, was a huge hit. Yeah, and probably the biggest hit. Yes. Other than, uh, yeah. Other than Then the Morning Comes and uh, their cover of I'm a Believer, which was also featured in Trek. They were a band of the time, the late 90s, early 2000s. They definitely were of that era. Kind of like uh, Sugar Ray. But uh, it, it does hurt. as It's part of that time. You may not like listen to their music religiously and may not have their discs but it's it's in the same vein when aaron carter died it's your era it's somebody that you grew up with you may have not been a fan of but that's part of your that's part of your era like i said it's a shame it's a shame to die at that age 50 you said it was 56 yeah 56 years old yeah ah, so my mom who was 50 Seven when she died, also died from liver failure. But she died from liver and kidney failure. And they they say that kidney failure is much easier to fix than liver failure because liver when your liver goes, that's it. You you if if the liver fails and it reaches into your bloodstream, it's like that's it. You're fucked at that point. Yeah, I, I think I told you uh, uh, Sunday, yesterday, actually, uh, of this recording that he was taken to the hospital because of his liver. And it was like, oh, no. And the doctors, yeah. he has like a week the most uh, left to live. And then he passed away the very next morning. Yeah. It probably, because I do remember my mom was in the hospital bed. They did offer to give a liver and kidney transplant as a way to fix it. But... It's like, do you want that person to suffer more for a situation that may not save them? So it's like, yeah. yeah it's a very tough spot to be in. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, But this is going to hurt a lot of people who grew up during that time, knowing full well what he meant to that era. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think their first hit was Walking on the Sun. That came out in 97. Because I remember that song was used in American World in Paris. Walking on the sun. That was their start, and then All Star, and then you said you mentioned in the morning, and then the morning comes. I like uh, another song they did, Pacifico's uh, Pacifico's Party, underrated song of theirs. But I was never a, a diehard fan of Smash Mouth, but they they had some good songs. Didn't they also cover or or did their own rendition of Why Can't We Be Friends? I don't have maybe I don't have the tune in my head. I know I know the song, but I don't have their cover in my head. I'm trying yeah. to think 
it would go. But um, I didn't know. He retired from the band two years ago, 2021. He retired from singing. I don't know who replaced him. I don't know if the band still kept touring without him. But he, he has a uh, – his voice is not easy to replace because his voice was perfect for that group. And his face, too. Like, he's a perfect representation of that time. <clears throat> and it's not like – I mean, he, he was pretty much there for all their albums. This is not like the lead singer from Drowning Pool, where he was only there for like one or two albums and then the dude passed away from the rest of the discography. They had to get a new guy to replace him. But hey, I mean, <clears throat> Allison Chains replaced Lane Staley after he passed away. So I guess anything's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But it's still sad. I didn't know that his son passed away in July of 2001 from uh, leukemia. Uh, He was only six months. God damn, that's got to suck. Yeah. Going through that time, and literally, that was the time where his band exploded. So, God, that's got to suck. But rest in peace to both legends, Jimmy Buffet and Steve Hartwell. Uh, Your music's definitely going to live on. I mean, we mentioned, you know, we were just talking about Good Burger, and yeah, and of course, Smash Mouth. Uh, all-star their music was part of our childhood growing up it was part of nickelodeon i mean again you could like you said you couldn't escape their music yeah every time you still hear that song now it just brings you back to when you were uh before teen you were still a minor you're still before a teenager correct that is correct i was a little boy growing up during that time uh hot times daddy Uh, hot times buddy I'm going to hit you with the pay later. Well, let's get into today's film discussion. A film, a John Carpenter film that uh, nobody really talks about. And and I'll get into the details behind the scenes and everything. But today's film we're talking about is the anthology horror film Body Bags. Uh, this mm. is a TV movie presented by Showtime. Uh, this was basically their response to HBO's Tales in the Crypt. Now you got to think, this is the 90s. John Carpenter was struggling in his career by this point because he just had he did a film called Memoirs of the Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. Imagine that pairing, John Carpenter and Chevy Chase. <laughs> yeah, but um, that flopped at the box office. John Carpenter was never really a director that made major financial hits, with the exception of Halloween. Yeah, well, Halloween was like a revolutionary film for its time, and I don't know if we could say the same about this per se. In the late 80s, um, I guess the Rod Sterling uh, or even how Alfred Hitchcock type format was reintroduced to a, a modern audience at that time with Tales in the Crypt. You had the Crypt Keeper and he was host. He was almost getting like a mini movie of the week with his stories. It was only, And it was a nice little throwback to Rod Sterling's Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock uh, uh, Presents type format. They have a host and then they introduce uh, this week's horror story. And that's basically what you got. And it was a very, and Tales of the Crypt was a huge hit for the 90s. So Showtime wanted to cash in on that. Who can we get to almost be like our Crypt Keeper? How about John Carpenter? He and his character, he was the coroner in this movie. Now, John Carpenter said going into this move, this project, that um, he was not a fan of anthology series. He just never really cared for that format. But he needed money, and this was something he felt he could kind of do on his side time. So he figured, oh, what the hell, I guess I'll head this project. And originally, this was supposed to be a TV series. 
But uh, I- the last minute, Showtime pulled a plug on it, but they already did film some shorts for it. So instead, they turned it into a little mini movie, and that's kind of what we got here. The writers are Billy Brown and Dan Angel. Uh, this was very early in their careers. They were later on write for uh, episodes for the X-Files. They did episodes of Goosebumps, episodes of R.L. Signs of Haunting Hour. And this is uh, one of their early... Yeah, so they did a lot of anthology work, and I didn't know this was one of their first stuff they did. It was working for John Carpenter. It's kind of weird, because... Of all the movies that we do on this podcast, the two that are easy to digest, whether they're good or bad, are the anthology and the found footage horror films for me. Like, they're much easier to figure out what's going on and be able to piece together all the things that happen. It's, it's, I don't know why he's not a fan of it. And, and quite frankly, a good majority of what we reviewed Tales from the Hood, which I really enjoyed, uh, I think the original Tales from the Crypt, the one from, what was it, the 70s that we reviewed? Mm-hmm. That was great. Um, there's one that I know we haven't reviewed yet, which probably down the line you're going to make us watch, is uh, ABCs of Death. <laughs> had me watch, and I just like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> I, think, I, I think when anthology films, because they're all short stories that kind of go straight to the point, and they're just very easy to follow. And they're very simple. Yeah. And this one is no exception. So, literally, the, the movie starts off with John Carpenter as, I guess, it, yeah, you said it was the coroner. That's their version of the Crypt Keeper. And I actually didn't think he did a bad job in presenting. I, I thought he it looked like he was having a lot of fun here. I think that's why, I think that's what drew him to the project. So, wait, wait, I get to be the host? Now you got my attention. Yeah. It's like he was... Yeah, and the uh, makeup effects was done by Rick Baker, who of course did the work for John Landis, and he did all the makeup for uh, Thriller for Michael Jackson. And I don't know, the corner kind of looks like a mixture of uh, Low Cheney's uh, Doctor uh, Mr. Hyde from Doctor Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Oh, uh, yeah, I definitely see that. And a combination of Beetlejuice. Yeah, the way he sounded sounded like Beetlejuice for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, his, it's always like a main story that kind of like wraps up and it's like broken into parts similar to Tales from the Hood with the three gangsters trying to get drugs from that one guy in the house and come to find out they're all dead, blah, blah, blah. But his, the corner story really doesn't have much of a purpose here. He's just a guy that's just looking at all the dead bodies and he's looking for an interesting dead body to look at other than natural causes. So he looks through all these bodies and finds one body and then goes into the story. And I'll say this before we get started. So this is three stories. Yes. I will say right off the bat, I thought the first story was very, very fun. Second story was charming. And the third story was eh. So kind of like went down as the movie went on. But we'll get to that. So the first movie is called Gas Station. And it revolves around a girl who just got a new job, who's working the night shift to work at a gas station, where she's working in one of those little cubicles that has all the other stuff. And keep in mind, this is like 92, 93. So it's obviously a little bit dated in how they operate, like credit cards and stuff like that. But there's a murder on the loose. And do you know, her, do you know what town they're in? Haddonfield. <laughs> ah, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> But yes, they were in the town of Haddonfield, 
No mention of Michael Myers, but they did. It was a big mention of Haddonfield. So anyways, <clears throat> she's in Haddonfield. She, there's a murder on the loose. Her friend's like a little weary to drop her off, but she's just like, eh, I'll do what I have to do. So the um, the guy, I guess his name is Bill? Yes, yeah. played by uh, Robert Carradine for many any fans of Revenge of the Nerds. He was the main lead in that in those franchise, and he plays Hilary Duff's dad on the Lizzie McGuire series. So I think this I think this is the darkest role he's ever done in his career. So yeah, Bill okay. basically introduces her to a role. Comes off a little bit awkward, but it is what it is. But it, it's kind of a dead giveaway for later. So he gives her the keys and all that stuff, and now she's working this night shift. And a couple of people come by. Are a little bit sketchy like first guy that comes by he comes by and he's kind of a little bit of a creep trying to get her number and all this stuff after buying a pack of cigarettes but, you know who that was <sighs> lay it on me Wes Craven okay yes I know Sam Ramey's in this skit yes that was a that was one of the things that Carpenter did with this film. He wanted to call in as many of his friends or any many horror people were that were available during the time to try to get make some type of appearance. And Wes Craven, he was the creepy, I guess creepy old guy. But I thought he was great here. He was really so, good. He really played it off. So, anyways, yeah, he played a creepy guy, but after he leaves, you never see him again. Then there's uh, the second guy. I think he was. I think the second guy that comes in was the homeless guy. Was it the homeless guy? I think he was. He was a third guy. All right. So who was the second guy again? Because I think it was. Oh, the second guy was the nice guy with the credit card. Yes. So he wanted to pay for gas. And keep in mind, when you watch this movie, a lot of the uh, the, the stuff they use to uh, charge credit cards it looks so dated. <laughs> yeah, it's so dated. I remember just just on a side note, when I was in New Orleans back in 2014, uh, this is before Uber was really blowing up. The woman that was taking me from Brett's house, you know who Brett is, uh, mm. to WrestleMania Access, was using one of those types of machines. I'm like, God damn, am I stuck in the fucking early 90s or some shit? Anyways, so. Uh by the way, the credit card guy, he's Pete. The actor's name's David Norton. He was the leading man in American Werewolf in London. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, he comes off like a nice guy. He's just like, oh, I just need to pay for gas, give the ID, whatever. And as he drives off, she uh, notices that he forgot his credit card and ran out. But when she ran out, she closed the door and left the keys in there. I forget how she gets back into the uh, house. She had a, I think, a spare key in the uh, garage of the uh, gas station. Right. So that's when the homeless man comes in and asks, "Can I use the bathroom?" The and same guess... guy that was in Back to the Future. He was in They Live. He was in Wishmaster. The same actor. <laughs> so he goes to the bathroom, and then the next couple that comes, it's like an, uh, a mid fifties couple. They're kind of eccentric. They're getting gas, and then she asks the guy, yo, the homeless guy's been in there for a while. Can you go check up on him? He goes in and says, oh, he's just asleep, whatever. So, again, she's feeling real tense because everything that's going on. All of a sudden, she starts seeing the car that's in the garage going up and down. 
And keep this in mind too. The guy, Bill, left his number in case she needed help with anything. So when she called that number, it went right into the gas station that's where the car is lifting up and down. And you come to realize that Bill from earlier is the serial killer. And he's going around killing motherfuckers. And when she's in this big chase, she finds the homeless man in the car, completely obliterated, stabbed, cut, sliced, whatever. And there's a big chase scene, and eventually she ends up in a bunch of uh, lockers where that's where the real Bill. So come to find out that that Bill was not Bill. He was the serial killer dressed as Bill. The real Bill that was supposed to give her the tour around was already killed prior to her getting there. Yes, which was played by Sam Raimi. He had a very, very, very hard role to pull off, which was play a dead guy. <laughs> so, anyways, chase happens. Eventually, she ends up in the car. She's going to try and drive off, but then... Oh, no, no, hold up, hold up. I'm, I'm fast-tracking. There's a part where she throws a chair in his face, and he keeps acting like he's going to die because he's bleeding from the nostrils, but he keeps doing the whole Michael Myers deal, always getting back up. But except a little bit more human-like, because obviously he just got hit in the face. So the chase begins, then she hops into the car, and then he uses the button to raise her up to make it so that she has nowhere to go. And then eventually, the guy with the credit card is tackling him to the ground, and obviously Bill wins the fight. But then, somehow, uh, and basically lowers the car right on top of the fake Bill and crushes him to death finally putting an end to his reign of terror and then that's when the credit card guy finishes the whole entire sketch off with got my credit card i bet that was the one time that he was glad and she was glad that he forgot his credit card <laughs> saved her life saved her fucking life and so now the, the uh gas station uh tale yes so, so then would you say this was your favorite one yes now, we go back to the coroner, he's going around, and then he finds one body that had jumped off the roof of a, a building. And you're gonna find out why he did. So, we're then introduced to the new segment called Hair, starring Stacy Keach? Yes. Stacy Keach, so, yes. He's got a lover, I think it's Megan. 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 Speaking of drinking, Josh. <laughs> and their love is fine. There's only one problem. Richard, that's Stacey Keish's character, he's very self-conscious about his hair. He's balding. He's uh, trying all these different methods. He's trying to use, like, different products to make, his, make it seem like he's got a full set of hair. Now, Megan has reassured him many times. She doesn't give a shit about his hair. She just wants him. She, she likes him for who he is. It's not good enough for Richard. He he needs to have the reassurance he's got a full set of hair. He feels like being bald, he's less of a man. So as the movie goes on, he's or this scene goes on, he's always trying all these different products. And it's just getting more ridiculous. So eventually he stumbles upon a commercial where this guy is promoting the idea of growing a set of hair. So he's finally like, that's it. I'm going to go to this guy because I've tried everything. Guy basically says that we're going to bandage your head up and by the morning you should have a full set of hair. 
Cool. So anyways, he goes through all the list of different hairs that he can give him. And he sees this one where it's like a rocker's hair or like a, a Fabio type of hairstyle, long flowing brunette hair. And he's like, yeah, that's what I want. So gets the bandage, goes to bed. And then as he's going to the mirror, he takes the bandage off and notices a full set of hair. Now he's super happy. Now his hairstylist is like mesmerized by his hair. His woman is mesmerized by his hair. This, that, and the other. Now up to this point, this this segment was like all goofy and, and go lucky. This is considered a comedy horror. Yeah, I would say like a dark comedy or a black comedy. Right. So I'm like, I'm sitting here wondering to myself, is this going to be the straight up comedy one and all the others will be horror? I, I didn't know where this was going. I was like, this is bizarre. But it all starts off with after they sleep with each other, he starts feeling something in his throat. Okay, whatever. It is what it is. And then he starts to feel a little bit sick. But then he starts to notice this weird little string coming from his throat, which he tries to grab. And eventually, he starts cutting his hair and then the hair starts coming alive. And it starts crawling all over the place. Eventually, he he gets real sick. And his woman thinks that he's sleeping around. And he's like, you know what? Don't fucking don't believe me, whatever. He starts to feel sick. Then the hair starts growing all over his face. He's literally looking like a human Sasquatch. But every time he uh, cuts the hair, the hair starts looking like little snakes and starts biting at him. He's just getting all freaked out. He can't find the number of this guy. So eventually he drives over to the facility. And then it's revealed that this company that makes hair is not a real company. They're aliens. And they're using humans as as uh, subjects to their experiment. And so that's when he sat at the chair realizing that he was being used as an experiment. It pretty much ends, what was it, with her cutting his hair or? He basically almost became like brain dead because the hair was spreading all over his body. Remember, he even cut his arm. You can see the hair pieces like popping out. Yes, that's right. He cut his arm to reveal that, yes, what we did was... We used you as a an as experiment, a basically. And it just pretty much ends with him staring off brain dead. And then it's revealed. That's why the coroner said this body, he jumped off the roof, realizing he's done. He jumped off the roof, killed himself. Yeah, this well, one was like, uh, I like this one. This one was kind of a black comedy. Uh, Stacy Keach was great here. The part when he does it, when he kind of takes the bandage off his head, was all done in one take. Mm-hmm. And think he was the original preacher for uh, the Exorcist. He later got recasted. Right. He did fine. Um, yeah. He's yeah. You got the you got a Debbie. Uh, what's her name? Debbie Harris or Debbie Harry, who was the nurse. Mm-hmm. Was kind of complimenting him. That she's part of the band Blondie. She's the lead singer of that. Does that song "Rush, Rush, Rush" to the Yayo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of so, course, David Warner. He passed away not too long ago. D voiced Raz Al Ghul in the Batman animated series. We then get to our final segment, which is called I. Yes, now, the first two segments were directed by John Carpenter. This segment was directed by Toby Hooper, who directed the original Texas Chainsaw. Now, before you get to the cast, I want to say this right off the bat. So, it involves a baseball player, and this baseball player, I guess he plays for the minor leagues and he's about to get this big break. 
when I kept seeing him, I'm like, there's something oddly familiar with this fucking guy. <laughs> no, I've seen so much. I had to keep squinting and squinting, and I'm like, oh my god, it's fucking Mark Hamill. Yes, sir. Mark Hamill, who plays Brent. This one is a little bit odd for me, but it, it, it is a simple story. So Brent is a, I guess, a minor league baseball player who's trying to break it into the majors, and he's about to get that big contract. He's really, really good. But what happens is, is that he's driving one night, and he wants to play music during a rainy night. So he's getting distracted. I'm like, come on, really? I know he's going to crash. <laughs> so he's, he's trying to grab the tape and concentrate. He eventually grabs the tape, and then eventually, what would you know? There's a deer on the road. He steers, gets into a car crash. And he does survive, but the consequence is, is that he completely destroyed his eye. Completely. And they said that your eye is completely destroyed and you'll never be able to play baseball again. So this is obviously destroying him on the inside because he was about to make it big. However, there is a doctor, Dr. Lang, who basically said, I have an idea. We can try this new experiment that I've been dealing with where I can implant a completely new eye into your face. Well, not an eye. It's the eye of a dead patient. Similar to the second story, they want to do a uh, body part type transplant this time with the eye. It's an experiment. And if it works, then you can have full vision, like no tomorrow. If not, well, then you're just right back to square one. No harm, no foul. So Brent tells Kathy his wife basically though the ramifications is send the other and they decide to go with the the new eye the only thing is is that he's a naturally blue-eyed individual and this eye that he's given has got a brown tint on the uh the eye lobe but that being said they said they would give him contact so eventually eventually they start giving him the new eye and voila he's able to see but there is a consequence to this new eye. He starts seeing these random visions of a woman all over the place. He starts seeing a woman in his backyard in like a grave site. He starts to go crazy. Yeah, he starts hallucinating, seeing things that uh, that are not actually there. And these are mostly graphic scenes, graphic things that he should not be seeing. That will make anyone go crazy. So... What he comes to find out after like getting into an abusive fight with his wife, which he never did prior, he yeah, seeks his out eyes back. making him more aggressive. He's his change of attitude. He's getting meaner, angrier. It's just making his Lang. house like miserable. He goes to Doctor Lang and was like, "What the fuck did you put in me? Who did this eye belong to?" That's when it's revealed that the eye that he got implanted into his face belonged to a serial killer who was executed after killing a bunch of women. And then that's when you realize that the eye is possessing him. So now he's got two different personalities in him. He's got himself and this individual. And so there's a point where he's the other side, the, the new side is trying to kill his wife. And then eventually he's trying to battle within himself that this guy is trying to overtake me, this and the other. And the only way to stop it is he basically stabs himself into that eye that makes him bleed to death. 
and there's also there's also a bit of a, a religion theme here as well because his he's a religious man. Right. There's a lot of Bible talk in this one. I didn't really care for this one, personally. There's a lot of like filler, filler scenes in here. Even though Mark Hamill played a great job, it's Mark Hamill, so played a great job in playing like a schizophrenic, bipolar guy. Yeah, this one was more of like a thriller because let's see, the first story we could say was just straight up horror, mm-hmm. classic old school horror, Carpenter horror, because even had he even had his own Halloween themes in that story. Yes. Second story was was more of a black comedy, and then here I would say it was more of like almost like a psychological thriller. Yeah. And the story I there's a, there is do you remember the film I with Jessica Alba? I did not see I with Jessica Alba. Well, that film is a remake of a Japanese horror film, also with the same title, and the plot was very similar to this, except uh, they were blind, and then they got this eye transplant. Of course, they start seeing shit, and the eyes were from like a previous killer or a victim of a killer or some shit. And basically, this was kind of the first story to kind of start that trend of that of the eye storyline, in a sense. Um, Roger Corman, of course, he's in this one. He was one of the doctors. He's, he wasn't he wasn't the doctor that did the eye transplant. He was like the assistant doctor that wasn't too crazy about the eye transplant. For those so, that don't know, Roger Corman is a legendary horror producer. He's done a lot of B-movies in his career. Still alive. He's like, geez, you want to talk about old? He's got to at least be in his, I'd say, 90s. So this mortally reminded me of a sketch that was on VHS 2 where the guy gets an eye transplant and he starts seeing spirits. That's another example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this was probably the weakest story of the bunch, even though Mark Hamill probably gave the best performance out of all the uh, individuals in their rightful place. And the film pretty much ends with John Carpenter's coroner basically ending up back into the bag where two individuals uh, trying to see who played what? Give me one second, because they were familiar faces. But yes, there's uh, Tom, Tom Arnold, Hope Hooper. Yeah, Toby Hooper, the director himself, as yeah. the uh, the court, the court, not the coroners, but uh, uh what the hell are you called? Yes. Yeah. So it just pretty much ends with them uh, opening up the coroner and seeing how he died, this that, and the other, and then it just pretty much ends. Yeah. Um. It's fine. It's fine. Little flick. It had its ups and downs. Uh, I was not surprised this was a TV horror film. This was not released in theaters because I don't know. I just could not see somebody paying money to see this movie in theaters. So, I mean, to be fair, in 1993, probably the cost of seeing a movie at that point was much cheaper than it is today. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this was a little project that Showtime. Um, as I mentioned, at once they went to the Cash in the Tales of the Crypt with their own anthology horror series, and then for whatever the last minute they just pulled the plug on it, and then they probably filmed the corner scenes with Carpenter, even though it was, it was always meant to be there. But they probably filmed more scenes just to kind of fill out that runtime. Right. Just make the TV movie out of it instead. Um, I think it's a fun little movie. It's I think for a TV film, I think it's solid. It is fun. I did not enjoy it as much as uh, Tales from the Hood, personally. No, it's, not, it's not on that level, no. Nowhere near on that level. But uh, it was fine. And I think it, it, it had the right idea. Three stories is fine. All 30-minute little shorts. 
And they and to be fair, they were all different. Yeah. All very different from each other. So it, it, it definitely at least separated itself from the bunch. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to mention Roger Corman is ninety seven years old. Still alive, hey. still producing. That dude's just gonna keep working until he dies. Yeah, he's a he's a a work a work work horseman, a war horse, a workhorse. That's the word. Hey. Oh. But um, overall, I mean, the film is streaming on Tubi. It's always on Tubi. Um, it's on YouTube, I th- I believe. Um, it's it's currently also on Peacock. I, I the film's always gonna be available somewhere. It's a nice little movie, a nice ninety little film. Um, I think it's a bit underrated. I I don't think it's a great movie. It's not one of Carpenter's best, but when you every time people bring up John Carpenter, they never bring up Body Bags. It's like one of his, almost like a forgotten movie of his. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would think I've never seen Memoirs of the Invisible Man. I heard that was pretty, that was bad. But I would definitely put this film over Carpenter's '90s movies because I thought all his '90s films, for the most part, sucked. Escape from L.A. was terrible. Vampires was probably his best one. Oh, what else did he? What else did he do in the nineties? That's that's the thing. You, you don't know what Carpenter did in the nineties. Yeah, I mean, I think this film was fine. I, I I wouldn't call it underrated, overrated, whatever. It it was, it was what it was. It was a fine little film. It's not really much to hate, but not much to be like, oh my god, you got to go and rush to see this. I would say the gas station is the best segment of the bunch. Mm-hmm. I, so. I still recommend it. I forget. Eh, it's a nice little movie, ninety minutes. You kind of you get you kind you get three little movies in one. Yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean it's worth the check. I'm not gonna say it's not. Mm-hmm. Give it a you shot. Know, yeah, John Carpenter's fun as the uh, the coroner as the host. You can tell he's having a good time with it. Apparently, it took him three hours to get into that makeup. I that's think that's I think this is the only time he's ever done prosthetic work on himself, or he was ever in prosthetic makeup. Yeah, I'm not a director. He works more so behind the scenes. I don't think I've seen him in anything visually when it comes to effects. So, yeah. Well, and that that is 1993's Body Bags. Yeah, it's a fun little film. I'll give it a thumbs in the middle. Yeah, thumbs in the middle. My my thumbs are kind of in the middle towards up. Again, not great, but I think it's a nice, fine, fun little movie. Can't mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And I think that's going to do it for this episode of Fractured Skulls. We'll be back next time. We're going to be heading towards Mortal Kombat te- territory, especially with the new game coming out soon. We're going to be going over all the Mortal Kombat animated movies are produced by wb animation over the past couple years there's three of them we're going to be reviewing we're going to go in order with the first one being mortal kombat legends scorpion's revenge i know me and you know a lot about the mortal kombat lore so this should be quite an interesting watch and we'll see how this film does compares to the uh, live action adaptations of the mortal kombat story so i think this should be fun yeah we'll see uh, yep. give it a shot. Yep, they're all available on HBO Max for anyone that wants to check it out. That's gonna do it for this episode from Monoxide. I'm Terminator Travis. Memorable, a quotable line from this film. I don't remember one, but uh, yeah.
<laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, there wasn't one.